we are blessed to have uh, gifted musicians that are able to lead us. I realize my computer went to sleep. Christmas promises, today's realities. We're on the threshold. Tonight, the, this morning, the message we'll be sharing will be, Go Tell It on the Mountain, the song we just sang. Because we're on the brink, five days until 2021. What will this year hold for us? What will change? What will stay the same? Will life ever be normal again? What can I do? No matter what 2021 has in store for us, what is it we are to do? We'll be looking at Luke 2, 8 through 21. The moment when B.C. became A.D., the sentinel moment of all humankind. Today, our calendars are permanently shifted because of this moment, this occurrence, this baby born in Bethlehem. Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning, walking, Lord, before you, seeking to be in obedience to your word, praying, Father, desperately that I get out of your way. So, Father, your word would speak to our hearts, it will change our minds, that will influence our behavior, so that, Father, 2021 will be different in how we see our opportunity to show you to others. Speak to us each today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So what does B.C. and D.A.D. mean anyway? B.C. is before Christ, we've heard that. And then A.D. oftentimes is referred to as after death, but that's actually not what A.D. means because you'd have actually 33 approximate years unaccounted for, if that's what that meant. Instead, what it means is Anno Domini. Now, I'm no Latin scholar, so I looked it up. Actually, I knew what it meant. In the year of our Lord. That's us now. 2020 in the year of our Lord. 2021 in the year of our Lord. We live in the year of our Lord and have ever since he came. We don't live in the year that was the Lord's because he died, because he has risen. We live in the year of the Lord. A world-changing event, the birth of Jesus Christ. It's changed everything for everyone, for all time, and forevermore. So we'll be looking at this passage in Luke 2, 8, 21. You can turn to your scripture, or we'll have it on the screen in front of you. We're going to read through the passage, and then we're going to come back and look at three critical characters and events that occurred in this passage. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that had heard and seen, as, as, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So our characters and the events that are specific today that we're going to be talking about are the shepherds, the angels, and this town of Bethlehem. These set the context. And so let's look first at these shepherds. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, it's interesting because this area where these shepherds are, are is when you think of a shepherd in the culture of Judaism, are the least of the socioeconomic scale. So when you think of the social outcasts, I mean, they're employed, but everybody knows that's the job you take when you can't get any other job. That's the shepherd. So whatever picture that puts in your mind, I mean, I can think when there was a time when I was really, really happy that I got offered the job to sell vacuum cleaners. It's like, yes. And then my wife explained to me, honey, that's not good. That's like in sales way down here. Like maybe bottled water would be a little lower, but it's pretty down there. So this is the shepherds, the, the lowest in the culture. You've got to think they're perennial third shifters. And the reason I say that, because during the day, basically anybody can keep the sheep contained, keep an eye on them, keep them in the general area you want them to be. But at night, when darkness falls, is when the nocturnal beasts start to prowl around. And their sheep are at the most peril. So they have to be on the most on guard, up all night, making sure that nothing takes the flock away. There's a fascinating thing. Some scholars say that this specific area of Bethlehem, these flocks were actually the flocks that were used for the sacrifice in the temple. I oftentimes wonder, why shepherds? I mean, if the angels are going to come and, and reveal the coming of the Messiah, they had a great idea like way back in Egypt land. Let's, let's take a baby and let's put him in the Pharaoh's court. Let's make him the heir of the king. What a platform he would have. And besides, he did it before. The guy's name was Moses. And it worked really, really well. But no. No, no Bethlehem. And not just Bethlehem, but shepherds revealed. But when you look at it, you realize that shepherds tend sheep. And sheep, even if this flock was or was not the sheep, that were, were sacrificed for the sin offering, sheep are 
sacrificed for the sin offering. Shepherds, getting ready to find out, getting ready to meet for the very first time the final sacrifice. Who would know better than what they were getting ready to experience, but then those that are tending, raising, preparing those to be sacrificed for sin. And now they get to go realize unemployment is only a few years away. There will no longer be need of a lamb to be sacrificed. It makes all the sense now why shepherds would be revealed. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels. Did you notice this passage here? It says, they spoke. See, every, every song we sing about angels are angels singing. Every song we sing are angels singing. They're singing and there's references in scriptures that they have sung. Matter of fact, we're going to look at a couple of those. But they spoke in this passage. I looked at 91 references of angels. 34 books, 17 new, 17 old, where angels are mentioned. The only references to angels singing come to the beginning of creation in Job. It's a reference. And in the end of creation in Revelations. All other references of angels' visitations say they are speaking, not singing. Skip Heidzik from Calvary Church in Albuquerque, when I was listening to his message, tipped toward this, and it just got my mind going. And he made the statement, he says, do you think it's possible that maybe the angels aren't singing? Maybe we've, we've taken the American modern or, or European modern idea that we want the angels to sing praise. We want them to sing. Was that just what they should be doing? But that's not actually what Scripture says. When the morning stars sang together, oops, my passage came out. In Job 38, 7, where were you when I laid the foundation of all? So this is God speaking to Job. And he's pulling him into account at this point in time and saying, when I created the world, where were you? So this is the first reference to angels singing. Tell me if you have understanding whom determined its measurements. Surely you know. Or who stretched the in the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. It's a reference to the stars, which would be angels, singing about God's creation, the beginning of time. The only other reference comes in Revelations. Revelations 5, 6 through 12. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, 
with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all of the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down upon the lamb, each holding a sharp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain by your blood. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures of the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with one voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The beginning of time, we have angels singing. The end of time, we have angels singing. And in between, we have them saying, not singing. What if the angels won't sing? What if the angels can't sing until Jesus returns? What if the reason God has put 150 psalms in the scriptures is because the angels cannot sing? What if the only praises that God hears comes from human voices from the beginning of creation until he returns in Revelation? What if for God to hear his voice, to hear his name, to hear it praised, to hear it spoken, to hear it shared. It's not the angel's job anymore. Not now. Not in the time of man. In the time of man, it's our job. It's our voices. It's us that's responsible. What if the angels are held mute to allow opportunity for us to praise him and sing to the glory of his name? Psalm 150, it's the last psalm. I thought it was fascinating when you look at the 150 songs that God wrote for us to sing. And he finished with 150. And this is what it says. Matter of fact, read this aloud with me. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet and sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Did you get that last part? The last verse in Psalms, the last line. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. When the angels went away from them and into the heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
with Nathan in the audience, I could not do a sermon without at least putting one map up. So we have Bethlehem located just outside of Jerusalem. Scholars would refer to Bethlehem as the breadbasket of Judea because of the wheat fields. How symbolic. Enter the bread of life into Bethlehem. Once again, a pointer speaking to who this is that has showed up. He shows up to sheep. He shows up in the land of the bread because he is the bread of life that will take away the sin of the world. Many people talk about how this came about. As a matter of fact, Nathan even took to it last week. Was he in a cave? Was he in a manger? Was he in a stable? Well, there's a term called caravanseria. Caravanseria. I've worked on this, and it still doesn't come out right. And it's basically a walled compound that would be common outside where this would be the Motel 6. This is where people would typically stop. There's housing around the walls, and the animals would be in the middle. They would look something along these lines. Now, Bethlehem was a town about three to 500. Think about that. About three to 500 people in this town. There's no room for them in the end because everybody is coming home, as the, as the passage says, to be counted in the census. From a distance, they would look something along these lines. And this picture here I'm getting ready to show you, to me, I can picture this. This is what it would have looked like in the middle. You have the walls around the outside. You have the inn where the people would seat. And then the animals would be pushed toward the middle. This is where baby Jesus very likely, very possibly would have been born. In the midst. Bethlehem, the bread of Judah, the bread of life. And there's no room for him. 2020. Sometimes, to me, what 2020 has felt like is the year that there's no room for Jesus. There's no room, there's no time. We're stifled, we're separated, we're pulled apart. And it's felt like to me that even more than ever before, there's been division and pulling away of the body of Christ. And what I long for more than anything is us to pull together to realize that there is something I can do. We have the hope of the world in our lives. We have the calendar-changing event sealed in our hearts. Everybody lives in the year of the Lord. Everyone around the world lives in the year of our Lord. Let's pull this down. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the, in the womb. When we look at 17, it says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Let me remind you that saying. That's in verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior 
who is Christ the Lord. That's what we can do. As the angels came and made the announcement, made the proclamation, and if theoretically I'm right, and they have been silent when it comes to the ability to sing the praises, we can do this. He's equipped us with the word of God to be shared to others, to bring them to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to be an evangelist to do it. You just have to have a voice. You just have to have a will to, to put with your want to. You just have to be willing to take a risk for Jesus Christ. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God, praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's five days until 2021. What will this year hold? What will change? What will stay the same? Will life ever be normal again? What can I do? The deacon board and Nathan have been praying and seeking and desiring to see our church move into this community. To invite people of the saving grace of Jesus Christ safely. We've got live streaming so those that need to can stay home and still hear the message of Jesus Christ. We still want more to know. We know that we can advertise, we can promote, we can, we can put banners up all over town, but the reality of it is 96% of the people that ever come in this door, 96% will come because somebody else invited them. 96% that will ever watch live stream will do so because you asked them. I mean, we can take Facebook ads, we can put ads in the paper and believe it, we're going to. We want to. We want to reinforce and encourage those that are sharing the story to share it one more time, to have confidence to know we're doing all we can to share Jesus Christ here, the truth. So what can I do? Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. And how? We have a series we're starting called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies. It's a book that's being gifted away and we're going to provide it for you. It's bookmarks that you can give away. And Nathan's going to talk a little more about that. There's Facebook links that you can share. But the reality of it is, angels won't do this for us. We have to. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. share with the world that Jesus Christ is born, um, it could be just a, a Wikipedia entry, unless it's happened to you, unless you know who he is. We're going to sing who Jesus is. When we sing uh, the anointed one, Jesus Christ, or the Messiah, we mean that we've met the king. So we're going to sing that together, and then we're going to reprise our, our uh, resolve to go tell it on the mountain. So stand and as we sing.